Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Dave. And just a reminder, we're in our studio right now, but it won't be long before we are going to be on a road trip. Yes, another massive, awesome road trip. I can't wait. That means summer is happening, and so are some pretty incredible conversations and interviews. We can't wait to share these with you and and introduce you to some of our friends on the road. Yeah, and while we're out, we'll be uh, kind of keeping everybody updated. So if you'd like to know where we're up to, who we're talking with, what's going on, uh, you can definitely stay in touch with us. Be sure to check us out on social media. Uh, We'll be posting updates on Facebook and Twitter uh, as we're out on the road. Yeah, there's some content that's going to be out there that you can't, can't really get anywhere else. And... We started that last year on our California road trip. I think at one point we are live streaming on the side of a road next to a cow (laughs) or something like that. So you never know what you're going to see. You never know what you're going to see. Absolutely. But for today's episode, we spoke with Tim Otto, pastor at the Church of the Sojourners in the Mission District of San Francisco and author of Oriented to Faith, Transforming the Conflict Over Gay Relationships. Yeah, Tim shared a bit with us about the way this conversation has shaped his own life, but also called us to unity in the midst of our conflict so that we can have real conversations and learn together. Welcome to episode 43, Transformation and Common Ground with Tim Otto. Welcome to the Sandbox. Be a bit about your your story. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I grew up as a missionary kid and then a pastor's kid. and Missionary kid overseas? Or? Yeah, in Uganda, East Africa, just until I was eight. There okay. was a dictator, Idi Amin, who yeah. showed up and uh, gave us the boot. Uh, mm. So we came back to, to the U.S. And... Uh, um, you know, even that—that that was a very interesting transition. In that, uh, I had already had some intuition that I was attracted to guys rather than women, mm-hmm. and came back into um, elementary school. And it's kind of bizarre what good gaydar uh, third graders have. It's really? Just, <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I got called sissy, queer, homo, faggot all the time, and. Um, you know, there's some, if you get called some names, mm-hmm. like if you get called an MFR, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you can think about that and realize, nope. Yeah. <laughs> That's not, not a thing. in my repertoire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? but, but as I got called those names, yeah. um, I realized, wow, you know, that, that seems to kind of fit who I am mm. and, and the ways that I'm attracted. And so that was really daunting, and um, I didn't tell my parents about it because even at that age, there was enough of a kind of message about sex of just being negative, something that you don't talk about, yeah. that I realized that if, well, I feared that if I told them that they wouldn't love me. Right. And so... And, and what um, tradition, what faith tradition so was it? So Baptist. Okay. Conservative uh-huh. Baptist, okay. actually. Yeah. Yeah. So... Anyway, I grew up and, um, you know, the name calling kind of eventually stopped um, as I got into high school, but but it continued on in my own head. Like I would see someone and and think even, you know, the most innocent of thoughts, like Ken has beautiful green eyes or whatever. Mm -hmm. And instantly I'd think, oh, Tim, you're a faggot, you're sick, you're Mm. perverted. And... 
And so I really internalized that and then uh, went to a Christian college and as part of that went through a a year-long program designed to help people change their orientation. Okay. And, And at the end of that, they had a graduation, and I knew I hadn't graduated, uh, so I didn't go. You had a there's they had a graduation ceremony. <laughs> yes, yes. Wow. I don't I don't know if they handed the dudes, uh, you know, uh, utility belts or baseball bats, <laughs> <laughs> the women frilly dresses or what you know yeah. what, what oh, the graduation gosh. gifts were. But mm, uh, mm. yeah, I, I mean, I got to know people pretty well yeah. through that whole experience and. It became pretty evident to me that that orientation change doesn't happen for most people. Um, So anyway, uh, I kind of went through this period of just seriously thinking about giving up on faith altogether. Mm -hmm. So there was this group of people who were ministering to Salvadorian refugees, and it seemed like they were living a very adventuresome faith, very different from the kind of background I grew up in. Mm-hmm. And and so that really fascinated me. And so I showed up and it's a little group of like nine people. And at one of the first meetings, I said, I'm gay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a Christian. I have no idea how these things go together. I mean, this was the late 80s. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so afterwards, uh, one of them who was a conservative Baptist missionary came up to me and he said something like, Tim, I don't know what all I think about homosexuality, but I know that you're a gift. Hmm. And I wonder if being gay isn't a gift to you and to us. And, you know, that just revolutionized my thinking. Because up to Hmm. that point, I had been trying to just, like, take a knife and cut gayness out of my body. Hmm. And uh, that wasn't working very well. Mm -hmm. And... So it kind of gave me this whole new paradigm. Um, and, and I've ended up thinking that in the whole conflict over LGBT sexuality, that there's an opportunity there for the church. It's not just simply that we need to win and the affirming side needs to conquer, but there's there's an opportunity to learn to grow to reach out to the other uh, that the church just hasn't realized i mean growing up in a conservative context i i feel like i understand that logic really deeply and i think they have things to teach us and things that we need to learn from Mm -hmm. um i feel like you know, one of the biggest issues right now in the U.S. is how polarized we are. Yeah. And I think part of that is that both sides, the right and the left, are being religious in the worst sense, meaning Mm. because of what I think, I am superior to those people over there. And and that's what religion has become. Mm. And I think that's what Jesus was all about confronting. Right. Um, but I think, you know, religion, religio, uh, ligio is like ligament, and it, it means connection. And so it means reconnection mm. with God, with ourselves, with others. And, and I think that includes 
genuinely loving our enemy. And one way of doing that is realizing our need uh, for that other. Um, and so I, mm. I think we need to do better thinking than we've done in the past about the opportunity that's in this debate so that it's not just an occasion for more division, bitterness, mm-hmm. and resentment. We need the other. And so as we think about a polarized society, you know, we need mm-hmm. the, you know, if, if you're speaking from a uh, liberal progressive stance, Mm-hmm. We need Donald Trump and and his support. I mean, how how you would say yes to that or or no or what would you say to that? I should say. Yeah, yeah, that kind of pushes the question really hard. <laughs> yeah, I obviously have a lot of trouble uh, with Donald Trump, but I think he's the end product of people not listening to each other Mm. and things becoming more and more dysfunctional. And so people are reaching for more and more radical and I would say ridiculous solutions. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of a failure early on to not appreciate Mm. uh, the other side and dialogue and see our need for each other. I mean, one one simple way of talking about this is just like in the Old Testament, New Testament, the same word is used for uh, righteousness and justice. And typically, conservative Christians have emphasized the righteousness mm-hmm. and, and liberal Christians have emphasized mm. the justice piece. But I, I think ideally they're meant to go together. Yeah. And, and that one without the other, I think, is dysfunctional. Hmm. Um, and so... There, there's a challenge to us to recapture dialogue and appreciation of the other so we don't end up with people feeling so desperate that they nominate the ridiculousness that is Donald <laughs> Trump. <laughs> so what does, what does that look like, though? What is, and I love that. I, hadn't, I, di- I didn't know that righteousness and, and justice come are the same word and we've dissected them mm-hmm. uh, yeah. functionally. What does righteousness and justice coming together look like in its very best sense? Yeah. Well, I, I think one way of thinking about it is, you know, there's that dictum that if you want peace, work for justice. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a way in which if you want justice, work for righteousness. Um, in other words, like, you know, one of the, the, the worst things going on right now is uh, kids who don't have adequate support who are growing up in poverty. And part of that's a function of just more and more single-parent households. And I think we need to be very, very careful not to blame single parents. Mm-hmm. But I think we that the church does bear some culpability in not being the kind of communities that help people sustain marriage mm. and, and make good on vows. Um, And so I think that's one piece that the progressive church uh, could learn uh, from Mm -hmm. our more conservative brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's that's one practical way. Mm -hmm. I I think it also has to be intensely local. Like, so I live as part of an intentional church community. And we've had just an incredible amount of conflict. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
as we've persevered through that, I think we have come to see that we genuinely need each other. And so I think part of what it looks like is figuring out what person in your life is most difficult <laughs> for you. <laughs> right. and, and figuring out, um, you know, the gift that that person is. I mean, you know, it, it sometimes said, uh, it's that person who's your Buddha. It's that person who's mm. your teacher. Mm. It's the difficult things that, that make us see who we truly are and make us learn the most about ourselves rather than the easy, good things. Right. Jesus says, love your neighbor. And we can say that, but you've got a neighbor who's really pretty annoying. <laughs> you, right. you got a neighbor whose dog right. barks all night. You've got a neighbor, whatever the case is. Um, yeah. And perhaps we have the most to learn from from that person. Yeah. Right. You're the author of, or it, I don't want to get the title correct so everybody can buy your book. Um, <laughs> Oriented to Faith, Transforming the Conflict on Gay Relationship. Uh, tell us about this work. Yeah, so it, it embodies a lot of the ideas that I've been talking about, which is that if we just win this conflict, uh, that's, that's no great triumph. Um, that I think people of faith need to embody the solution to a really polarized culture and figure out how to be deeply at peace with the other. And so I try and talk about that in the mm -hmm. book. And one of the ways I talk about it is I feel like a super important book was a book called Denial of Death by Ernest Becker. It won the Pulitzer Prize in 1974. Okay. Um, but it was a culmination of his life's work. And what he said was that we're basically gods who crap. He didn't use crap. But um, the, the idea being that we have minds that can think about eternity. But every time we take a dump, we're reminded <laughs> that we're in these animal bodies mm. that are going to die. Mm. And so what we do is we try and find symbolic ways of believing that we're going to live eternal, eternally. And one of those ways is by thinking we're superior to other people through what we believe. And, and so that's his critique of religion, that that's what it's all about. Um, and, and, and I think that ends up being the case, um, that uh, liberals and conservatives each see themselves as having the truth, and those other people are dumb and inferior. And, and that's just tragic. Mm -hmm. um, a, a, an interesting experience I had was growing up in a somewhat fundamentalist context, things were very black and white, and we were very clear who the enemy was, who the them was. It was secular humanists, abortionists, and homosexuals. But the bizarre thing for me was when I moved to San Francisco, I started participating in ACT UP, which was this group advocating for fast-tracking AIDS medications with the Reagan administration. They were very radical. It was very good work. I was very glad to be part of what they were up to. But I, I just saw the exact opposite. It, everything was black and white. 
Reagan was completely evil. Um, the bad people were the evangelical Christians. And it was its own kind of fundamentalism. Mm. Mm. And, and, and so I, I think what faith does at its best is remind us that God's got us, that um, because of Jesus, uh, Jesus has done everything it takes and that it's not what we do. And so that allows us to chill and relax <laughs> and be humble mm-hmm. and be curious and ask questions and learn from the other and enter into real dialogue. And and that's when I think we're actually going to get someplace. Mm. So there's obviously a lot of valid criticism of the church, of church communities, um, but it seems like a lot of that is maybe not even pointed it's not really pointed at the church. I mean, in the, in the truest sense of that, right? It's pointed at um, kind of the the power grab, you know, trying to maintain our control or our perspective of something mm-hmm. as as the superior view, right? Mm-hmm. So, do you have any comments on that? Like, what? I'm not sure exactly how to how to ask that, but like, is it is it in part because of the way that we've become that we've normalized the church culture? that we're unable to actually come to the table and and have these kind of conversations that I think we're really called to in the middle of of maybe polarizing conversation. Yeah, I you know, I one of the one, one human tendency is that whenever we believe something, we tend to look for the things that confirm it versus the things that disconfirm it. And so in the church, uh, we end up gathering together people that will confirm all of our beliefs. And and so we end up not being challenged, not having our thinking uh, thought through well uh, by someone who disagrees. And, and so I think we produce immature people. Um, and, and so that's part of what goes wrong in church culture. And so we don't have the experience of appreciating someone close to me who's really different. And so then that just gets blown up into the cultural national levels. And we don't know how to cross those divides either. So you've mentioned that you're um, part of an intentional church community and that you've had a lot of conflict. So that makes me think that you're trying to engage some of that. And, oh, yeah. and try. So, what is that looking like for you? Oh my gosh! So, I know that you guys have talked a little bit about the Enneagram, and do you are you familiar with that language at all? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. So, yeah. so I'm a seven, which is known as like the enthusiast. You or... are my people. I'm a, <laughs> hey. I'm a seven. All right, let's party. <laughs> <laughs> let's get some drinks. That's right. <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> we're, we're working too Where hard here. Where is the beer? <laughs> Right there. there. (laughs) (laughs) Let's break it open. Okay. Well, for me, you know, so part of the path of growth is that anytime I encounter difficulty or pain, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking I'm doing something. Get get me out of here. Yeah. That's right. Get me out of here. I made a wrong turn. This must not be God's will. (laughs) (laughs) You're reading my mail, man. Right. But, uh, 
you know, and, and we think of church that way. We yeah. think it's the place where we ought to show up and kind of be given a spiritual Valium where we have yeah. this kind of feeling of spiritual bliss. And I think that's exactly wrong. That if, <laughs> if the church is to be a place of reconciliation across real difference, mm-hmm. then it's going to be hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's going to mm-hmm. be conflictual. And, and so for me, I've had to realize that it's a kind of crucible and that hanging in there is the place where I grow and build character and learn. And that's been just a huge paradigm switch for me. It's not my natural inclination mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it cuts across it. I've, I've, I've heard that, uh, I've heard people say, uh, church would be great if it wasn't for all the people. <laughs> <laughs> you just keep messing exactly. it all up. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, I think that is our intuition. Um, and, you know, the church is full of hypocrites. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, it's kind of like complaining that a hospital is full of sick people. Right. <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, that's what the church is for, mm-hmm. right? Uh, uh, you know, I I love I love the twelve steps where mm-hmm. you know every meeting you show up and you begin by saying, you know, I'm an addict and I need to be here. And I wish that our churches were more that way, where we we showed up and said, you know. I'm a broken person who needs some help. And then there wouldn't be all the posturing of like, oh, I'm spiritual. Mm-hmm. I'm here. You know, be, you, you all are so blessed. And then we'd mm-hmm. get real with each other and have some honest conversations and maybe grow to love each other in, in a deep way. Um, but unfortunately, that's, that's not what church has been. The quest for authenticity. Uh, you know, it just takes so much time for us to get to that point where we can say, all right, you know, yeah. if we, you know, he, 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 here's, here's what's really going on. Um, mm-hmm. And to build that trust and, and, and have that safety. So, you know, that you're not going to be bludgeoned with it. I imagine that you had, I, I go back to the, what you were saying earlier when you said, I'm, you know, I'm gay and I'm a Christian and you, you didn't even know how that all worked together, but I had to, I have to imagine that that was such a completely vulnerable moment for you mm. with these people that you had come to respect. It sounds like yeah, to be able to, to say that out loud and not know how they would receive it, let alone, you know, if that would be the end of your time there. Is that, mm-hmm. was that a fear at that point being vulnerable in that moment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was the first time I had told people. Uh, I mean, I think I had told, you know, my therapist, my Exodus group, my parents, and one other person at that point. And mm-hmm. so it was a huge fear for me. Um, yeah, it's a tricky thing um, because sometimes I feel like we talk about safe spaces as a place where I'm not going to hear anything that's going to ruffle me mm-hmm. um, and nothing that will challenge or confront me. And I think that's profoundly unsafe because what that means is we're not committed to the truth. Um, we can't talk about what's real. 
Um, but it seems to me that a safe space is a space where, because of who God is, we're committed to each other in a covenant of love and that we're operating out of love and so that I am profoundly for you and that's my motivation. And if I'm profoundly for you, if your parents or, you know, in, in relationship with people, <laughs> you'll realize that sometimes that means saying difficult things. Mm-hmm. But that's because of your commitment and love for that person. And so I feel like that's what that space was. I mean, people, at that time, the church was very diverse. And, and there were people that were um, very traditional. And so there were some very hard conversations. But in the end, I was convinced that these people had taken the time. They'd stayed up late and talked with me. They had talked with me over months and eventually years. And the meta message was, you are loved and we are committed to you. And, and I think that's what people really want, ultimately. Mm. I love that. I am profoundly for you. Mm-hmm. And that just supersedes any of the other mm-hmm. stuff. <laughs> supersedes some any of the other stuff that's that's there. Mm. Yeah, our usual experiences. Uh, you bug me, and I experience you as a hassle, and so I'm going to tell you about it so you can be less bothersome. You know, <laughs> when, <laughs> when our lives overlap. That's our actual experience of mm-hmm. each other. And so, you know, it's really a maturity when we can be deeply for each other mm-hmm. and wanting the best for the other person rather than just trying to defend our own interests. So how do we build that? I mean, how, how I mean, it, to me, that t- just takes a lot of time and, and just staying in there but you know are there think about your the community that you're talking about are there ground rules are there you know how does that happen yeah i think you nailed it i I think it's all about time Mm. um at sojourners we say to make community real uh, we share money space and time and so um, we have a way of sharing our money we put it all, uh, we pay basic expenses, put it all in a big pool and decide together what to do with it. Uh, we share space. We live communally. We have four houses. There's about 25 of us. We have families and singles living together. And, you know, people come around and say, wow, that's really weird. This is really a commune in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> and it's true. Uh, it, is, it is weird. Um, but the funny thing is, internally, the space and time issues are pretty easy. I, I mean, not space and times. Um, uh, it's it's time that's the hardest. Mm. Um, it's that we're all so busy and just getting our lives to overlap. Mm. And so I think that's the challenge is is finding ways to get you, get our lives to really overlap with each other so we know each other and can, you know, celebrate each other's uh, victories uh, and walk with each other in the difficult times. 
Um, but if you basically have a church situation in which you're looking at the back of each other's head and watching a bunch of performers, that's not going to happen. Mm. And it just ends up being, you know, a bunch of amputated body parts being put together in a box each week. And that's that's not really helpful. That That's not a body that's promoting the growth of one another. Maybe in conclusion... What else should we know? <laughs> Tell us everything because we. <laughs> I guess the other piece that I'm super passionate about is is the need for community and for us finding ways of connecting more. I think sometimes there's a tendency in the affirming church to say, "Well, okay, y- y'all can get married." go and and that's that's kind of it um but you know if 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 the affirming church is saying you know you too can enter into relationships of covenant and uh faithful um relationship with one another you know that's a hard thing to pull off and it may be especially uh, difficult if you aren't getting a lot of support from your family, um, from maybe a conservative community. And so we need uh, a community around us to make that ethic possible. And I certainly think that um, in terms of LGBT sexuality, but just in general to to be a different society in which our economic, social relationships are transformed. It's one thing to tell politicians that they should be different or the country at large, but we've got to start locally and live this out in a way that's real uh, so that we have some integrity and some credibility when we... um, critique the larger culture so yeah i think that's that's the primary challenge uh, for people of faith today is to figure out how to build relationships of real supportive love and connection with each other we talked with tim months ago and what he said then is more true than ever In our society today, we have insiders and outsiders, conservatives and progressives, us and them defined in in so many ways. But here's the thing. For the most part, we want the same things. We want our kids to be happy and to have access to, to education. We want good work and good food and healthy relationships and a living wage. We mostly just disagree on how to get there. We seem to consistently run into trouble when we make each other into caricatures, when we reduce one another, and ourselves for that matter, into talking points of of one particular political perspective or worldview. When we do this, we fail to see the human that is right in front of us. We fail to see the other, whose hopes and dreams, whose intentions, more often than not, aren't very different from our own. One radical part of scripture, which is too often overlooked, is the idea that we are created in the image of God. Everyone is made of the same stuff, holding the spark of the divine. 
The scandalous part is this. It's not just the people you hang out with and like, the people in your club or your church or your tribe. It's everyone. Everyone is created with the spark of the divine. Everyone bears God's image. Now, how do we build community with that idea in mind? How do we find common ground? How do we greet the image of God in the other? Man, it's, it's hard work and it can be brutal. It takes time, it takes intentionality, but it might just be what the world needs right now. It might just be what starts to mend some of the broken pieces that are all around us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Sandbox Cooperative Podcast. And special thanks to Tim for challenging and inviting us to find common ground for growth, even in the middle of our divisions. And as we close out our time today, a quick reminder, man, the road trip is happening and we're going to have beef jerky and Pringles and <laughs> licorice and stuff to eat as we go. And if you want to see us eating and driving and talking and doing Facebook live events and other things. And who knows whatever else. And who knows whatever other kinds of insanity is going to ensue. Uh, <laughs> you're going to want to check that out. And so make sure that you're following us on Facebook and Twitter and uh, we will share all kinds of information as we go. Absolutely. That's the, the best way to keep in touch with us and know what's going on as we're on this road trip and just generally with Sandbox. Also, if you're not on it, be sure to sign up for our mailing list at sandboxcooperative.com. That's another great way to stay in touch with us and what we're doing. And as always, be sure to share this podcast with somebody who might like it. There's always more room in the sandbox. Until next time, we'll see you. Bye. Please watch your step as you exit the sandbox.